Tonight, for 40 years, Canada and our allies have had Air Force exercises in Cold Lake, Alberta, but this year, Trudeau has canceled it. It's December 12th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Thanks consumer so. I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Shocking news today, but I doubt it'll get much press because the victims are the military, and to a lesser degree, Alberta. Two things that the media party doesn't really care for. This is a press release from the Royal Canadian Air Force. The headline, Postponement of Exercise Maple Flag. I'll read the press release in a moment, but let me tell you first what Maple Flag is, in case you don't know it by name. It's an annual Air Force training exercise held in Cold Lake, Alberta, where our Canadian fighter pilots uh, fly along with pilots from other countries. NATO countries, especially our American allies, as well as non-NATO countries too, including Australia, New Zealand, Israel, even Singapore. So we're practicing with our allies, which is pretty important because when we go to war these days, actually for a long time, it's always with allies. So it's important to practice that. It's not an air show. This is not hanging out and having fun. This is as real as it gets. It was modeled after the red flag training program in the United States that dates back to Vietnam, where a group of top US fighter pilots train in enemy tactics. They learn how to fly like the Soviet Union's Air Force would fly, or how, I don't know, China would fly. And then American and other countries' uh, fighter jet pilots practice in real life against that red team that's pretending to be the enemy. Obviously, they don't actually shoot each other's down, but, but it's not just a classroom simulation or a flight simulator. They're actually tearing it up in the skies for a couple of weeks. It's probably the most important training a fighter pilot ever does, it seems to me. Canada set up our version uh, called Maple Flag 40 years ago, and it's held every year. In fact, it's only been canceled four times in the last 40 years, and that was when Canada had a significant Air Force deployment overseas, so they couldn't go to the war games. For example, during the first Iraq war, or Kosovo, or the more recent Libyan operation. But every other year, for 40 years, it's on. And Cold Lake, Alberta is the perfect place for it, mainly because it's so huge. And also because of the landscape. This really is the key annual event for the Air Force. It's, it's a couple of weeks long, like I say. It's not just the one day. They do air-to-air -air combat. They do air-to-ground combat. It's not just fighter jets either. It's refueling aircraft. It's everything. And Justin Trudeau just canceled it. And this year, it's not because our Air Force is off to war, but because Justin Trudeau has starved our Air Force of money. Here, let me read from the Air Force press release itself. The Royal Canadian Air Force has decided not to conduct exercise Maple Flag in 2019. The RCAF will use the opportunity to refocus its resources to update the exercises mandate and to modernize the infrastructure used during the exercise. The RCAF will thereby ensure that Maple Flag remains focused and relevant to fighter operations in a dynamic and fluid battle space now and into the future. <laughs> There's a lot of baffle gab and jargon is there, in there, isn't there? So let me translate into plain English for you. 
they don't have the money or the support. So they're going to take a year off or who knows, maybe longer. They're going to refocus as in they'll spend what little money they have on doing other things. Modernize the infrastructure used. Who knows what that means? Maybe it means that our fighter jets are now so old that they can't really integrate with our allies anymore. I mean, the United States is using the F-22 Raptor and F-35 Lightning IIs. They started flying the, the Raptor in 2005. They started flying the F-35 uh, just three years ago. I've seen the F-35 in action, uh, or at least, not, I mean, not, not shooting things, but flying. Uh, when I was in Israel this summer, it was incredible. We had also seen F-15s at that uh, same event in Israel, which are amazing too, but then the F-35 took to the sky and it was like the difference between a Porsche and a Model T Ford. The F-35 is amazing compared to even amazing planes like the F-15. And we're still flying CF-18s in Canada that we first acquired in 1983. That is 35 years ago. Most of the pilots of the F-18s are younger than the airplanes. Trudeau's plan to modernize our CF-18s is to uh, buy more used F-18s from Australia. And those were acquired by the Australian Air Force starting in 1984. I'm not kidding. So we're buying used F-18s off Australia. And Australia gets to use that cash to buy new F-35s, just like America and Israel are. I wonder which it is. Has Trudeau cut the funds to Maple Eagle so deeply that they just can't afford to pay for it? Or are our CF-18s and other equipment just so old we can't even integrate and interoperate with our allies anymore? Or is it both? This press release is both infuriatingly vague and pitiful, as if the decision were made by the Air Force itself, as opposed to Justin Trudeau and the Minister of Defense. As usual, they're blaming the military itself. Oh, but Harjit Sajam, he'll take credit for the military successes, including lying that he was actually the architect of the big combat mission in Afghanistan. That's called stolen valor, by the way. All right, back to the press release. Let me read some more. After careful consideration, we will not conduct Exercise Maple Flag in 2019. We are planning to ensure we have the right capabilities at hand while working to ensure we are able to meet the evolving training needs of Canada and our allies, said Lieutenant General Al Meinzinger, commander of the RCAF, by pausing to evaluate Maple Flag, including its role and conduct in future years, I am confident we will be able to deliver a revitalized training experience that will build on the legacy of excellence for which Maple Flag is known in Canada and around the world. I am so sad for the guy who had to sign his name uh, to that. But, but did you notice, did you notice something there? There were three different excuses. The first was they were refocusing resources, as in they didn't have the cash to do everything, so they had to make choices and they cut this critical training program. Then they had the second excuse, they have to modernize infrastructures and we can't really fly next to F-35s. And the third excuse is, well, we don't really think Maple Flag is necessarily the way to go. We're going to reassess the most effective Air Force training program in the country. Uh, so effective, we've done it for 40 years, and countries from around the world come to join us. Now, we're going to um, evaluate it by stopping it. Don't, don't, don't you always do that? 
I'm not sure why you need to stop it to evaluate it. Isn't evaluating it usually done by some bean counter in an office or something? Not sure why it has to be stopped to evaluate it, other than this is another lie. They've tried out three excuses, hoping that one will stick. Look, I'm not blaming Lieutenant General Meinzinger. I, I'm sure he's a good guy. Uh, he himself flew helicopters. He, he had some deployments. He was in Haiti. He did some tours of duty in Afghanistan. He's a real guy, obviously. Uh, and he's obviously not in charge of the RCAF's budget. That's Trudeau and Sajan. They then tell Meinzinger how much money he has, and then they go back to their jet-setting ways. That's the one jet Trudeau will never scrimp on, will he? he here's a planted story uh, recently in the CBC State Broadcaster about how poor old Justin Trudeau has to fly in a 31-year-old luxury private jet when he goes on his vacations to Billionaire Island in Bahamas. Read this story and have a heart, will you? This is in the CBC. Canada looking at replacing a VIP aircraft and fleet as they hit 31st birthday. And then the subheadline there. In 2013, the ashtrays were finally removed from the seats and the plane got a new coat of paint. Well, I can only imagine the suffering that they had. It finally got a new coat of paint and the humiliation of sitting in a private jet that had ashtrays until 2013. Luckily, thank God, Justin Trudeau had to never suffer that indignity as he didn't become prime minister for another two years. But we obviously need to buy the man a new luxury jet, so let's write a story about it in the state broadcaster. They're softening you up, by the way, for when they buy one. Our Air Force pilot pilots have to make do with CF-18s that are 35 years old. They're being replaced with 34-year-old fighter jets from Australia, but the CBC wants to soften up public opinion to buy a new private jet for Trudeau because, of course, they fly in his jet, too, as reporters. All right, back to Meinsinger. He said that Maple Flag is paused. Really? Because he didn't say when it would return, did he? He didn't even confirm that it would return at all. Because if he doesn't have the money now, why would he have it next year? If his equipment is outdated today, why would it be any newer next year as more and more allies get the new F-35s? Let me read some more from the press release. The exercise is primarily conducted in the Cold Lake Air Weapons Range, a vast restricted training area of more than a million hectares located about 70 kilometers north of Four Wing Cold Lake, Alberta. Well, there's part of the answer, isn't it? If this were in Quebec, well, they'd back up the Brinks truck with cash, but it's in Alberta, and they're sort of gross, right? Quebecers are better than the rest of Canada because, you know, we're Quebecers. Yeah. And that's not just a, a one-off. Remember this? Regardez, le Canada fait dur maintenant parce que c'est des Albertains qui contrôlent notre, notre agenda communautaire et socio-démocratique. Ça marche pas. Yeah. I mean, Trudeau has given, just as a gift, a billion dollars to Bombardier. Not for Air Force jets, to subsidize their corporate jets that they sell to foreign buyers. So we're actually giving money to a private airplane manufacturer to subsidize foreign countries. And Bombardier, they just pocket the money including massive bonuses to their Quebec executives. By the way, the United States thinks that's an unfair trade practice, which it obviously is. So they've started a, a trade complaint against Bombardier. And that is literally why Trudeau has refused to buy modern F-35s. He's punishing Donald Trump for objecting to his bailout of Bombardier. 
Imagine if Trudeau gave the billion dollars, instead of to Bombardier, to our Canadian Air Force. And I don't mean to buy himself a version of Air Force once, just <laughs> stop right there. I mean for our pilots. And I'm not going to read the whole press release. I, I, I mean, it's like when you catch a child sneaking a cookie or, or something, right? I mean, the longer the excuse or explanation for why their homework isn't done, the more intricate the excuse, the, the more laughable. It's cute with kids, but it's just embarrassing when a lieutenant general, general has to fib on behalf of his liberal bosses. Let me read a little more. With the many technological advancements in military aviation over the decades, there has emerged a need for training methods and infrastructure to advance as well, continued Lieutenant General Meinzinger. Our adversaries are innovating, and so must we and our allies. Yeah, the Americans aren't shutting down their training versions of Maple Leaf. Don't think shutting down training is the same as innovating your training. But I don't think anyone is dumb enough to believe that you innovate in a battle training exercise by not having that battle training exercise. No one is that dumb, other than the Trudeau liberal staffer who wrote this and, and told the RCAF to sign it. This news is devastating to the Air Force. It is devastating to its capacity to do its job. It is devastating to our role as Canada within allied air forces, NATO, NORAD, our other allies. This is really our way of announcing to the world, because remember, this is an international training event. We are telling the world that we just can't keep pace anymore. We're out. You guys go ahead. We'll be back here with those Australian F-18s. This is devastating the morale in our air force, obviously. No equipment, no pay, now not even training. And of course it's devastating to Alberta, home of Cold Lake, where these exercises have been important for the community. Oh well. There used to be a major Canadian forces base in Calgary, but then Calgary voted for the Reform Party and Edmonton voted in a couple of Liberal MPs. So Jean Chrétien shut down the Calgary base as a punishment and moved it up to Edmonton as a reward. Now I doubt Trudeau will move anything. He's shutting things down. He's not just moving them around, but it will obviously go to Quebec if he does move it. Quebecers are better than the rest of Canada because, you know, we're Quebecers. Yeah, obviously. Here's the saddest part of the press release. The RCAF remains committed to conducting Maple Flag in the future. It is a core activity for the RCAF fighter force and provides personnel with an outstanding opportunity to train on Canadian territory alongside their partners and allies to develop and practice common tactics, techniques, and procedures. It's too early to say exactly what changes will take place or what our timeline will be, said Lieutenant General Meinzinger. I'm sorry, that's just sad. But did you catch that? The RCAF remains committed to it, but they're not really the deciders, are they? Justin Trudeau and Harjit Sajan are, and they're nowhere to be found in this press release or on this issue. Haven't seen them tweet about it or press release about it. They think it's more important to, I don't know, send our military on a fool's errand to Mali. Can you find Mali on a map? Here's a hint. It's in Africa. Narrow it down a bit. Can you still find it on a map? I didn't think so. Can you name any possible Canadian national interest we have in Mali? Me neither. Can you tell me why one Canadian should die there? 
but it will be a gender equitable mission. I am serious, that's a thing now. There's a whole website at the Department of National Defense dedicated to making feminism part of military planning. I am not kidding. Maybe that's the answer for Maple Flag. Just, I don't know, just girl it up somehow. Then maybe Justin Trudeau might care. Now the lieutenant says it's too early to say if this training exercise is ever coming back well. I feel pretty confident in saying it's not coming back. Unless Donald Trump gets on the phone with Trudeau or who knows. I don't know. Maybe if some C-list comedian in the United States manages to catch Trudeau's eye on Twitter. Remember, just, just the other week, Trudeau dropped $50 million in this tweet to a C-list celebrity, a comedian on a late-night talk show in the States named Trevor Noah. And look at that language there. It's like it's pocket change to him, like it's his own money, like a big shot trying to impress a girl or something. Look at the line at the end there. Work for you? Let's do it. And he gave 50 million dollars to a comedian. Speaking of 50 million, by coincidence, that's exactly how much he just gave a couple of months ago to the Hamas-controlled hate schools in Gaza after other countries had cut them off because of corruption and because they were promoting terrorism. And, and you know, we're looking for cash. Obviously, there's a $10.5 million Trudeau just gave to Omar Khadr, something he's done with three more accused alleged terrorists too. Khadr was convicted. So we're coming up with $150 million, just the examples I've listed in the last one minute. But no money for our troops or our veterans? No. See, um, with, when it comes to veterans, then the rarely seen Trudeau the fiscal conservative emerges. Very rare, it's like Halley's Comet. When veterans present, then he's all about defending the taxpayer. First of all, uh, why are we still uh, fighting against certain uh, veterans groups in court? Uh, because uh, they are asking for more than we are able to give right now. Yeah. And I don't want to be too dramatic, but there is a name. There is a word for someone who systematically, methodically, deliberately destroys our military, disables our ability to fight, denudes our soldiers of their equipment, underpays them, demoralizes them, humiliates them, while at the same time giving tens of millions of dollars to confessed, convicted terrorists. There is a name for such a person. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, as you know, we have some of our top reporters covering the United Nations around the world. David Menzies, as we speak, is winging his way back to Canada from Marrakesh, Morocco, where he covered the UN Compact for Migration. And our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, our Alberta Bureau Chief and the author of several books, including The Case Against David Suzuki and The Destroyers. Well, she's in Poland where she's covering the UN Global Warming Conference. And today, she joins us via Skype outside the town of Gliwice, which is near Katowice. Am I saying all these itzas correctly? It sounds like, I, I don't want to make fun. I just don't want to butcher the pronunciation. Am I doing okay, Sheila? 
You're close enough. You're close <laughs> enough. It looks gorgeous. <laughs> it looks gorgeous there. Um, yesterday we had you at a Christmas market. Today again, it looks like you're standing at at a outside a Christmas celebration. It looks like Poland is a country that's not afraid to show its Christian cultural heritage. You know what? We were when we were looking for a location to Skype you because we are in Glavica. We just attended a Sea Fact. Uh, presentation by our friend Mark Morano, but we were looking for someplace interesting and sort of Christmassy and sort of representative of Polish culture. And we had a hard time narrowing it because there's really just so much Christmas is everywhere. Catholicism is everywhere. Um, and it's not something that you normally see in the Western world anymore. Yeah, it's funny because, of course, Poland, first they uh, suffered at the hand of uh, Hitler and the Nazis who was hostile to the Catholic Church, and then, of course, Soviet domination for two generations, where they tried to eradicate religion altogether. I mean, the Marxist idea of religion is the opiate of the masses, get rid of it, only love the state and the party. Um, so the, the lights were dimmed for, what, 70, not quite 70 years there, 50, uh, 60 years for sure. And I think it, it came roaring back partly with Pope John Paul II, who himself, of course, mm -hmm. was Polish. And I think, and this is my theory, Sheila, re respond to this. I think that when you've had your religious freedom taken away from you for 50, 60 years, and you get it back, you want to use it. You don't take it for granted. You don't throw it away lightly. That's my theory about the Poles and Christianity. You know, freedom is a muscle, right? So, you, you know, when you get a chance to flex it, it just makes it stronger. We, You know what? We saw the same thing on the prairies with the Ukrainian settlers. They came and the first thing they did after building a shelter was build a church. And, uh, you know, right here on the street that we're on, within two blocks of each other are these massive churches. Right to my left right here is the Church of St. Barbara. And two blocks back behind me is the Cathedral of St. Peter and St. Paul. And they are massive churches. There's people in them right now. People are really um, proud of their Catholic heritage here, and you can see it everywhere. You know, uh, I want to talk to you about global warming and the UN conference, and you mentioned you were at a coal event with CFACT. That's sort of the mothership group behind Mark Morano's climatedepot.com. I do want to talk to you about that because, of course, that's why we sent you to Poland. But we also said, look, while you're in Poland, there's a lot of other stories there. And um, you know, David was in, in Morocco talking about the, the migration pact. Poland has looked at Western Europe, looked at Angela Merkel in Germany, looked at France, yeah. and the mass migration, not just of any sort, but the Islamification of those countries because of the character of the migration. Uh, countless Turkish migrants to Germany, of course, Syrian migrants and African Muslim migrants in in germany and france that has changed the cultural character of western europe and i should tell you even here in canada i just see in the papers today that the number one new baby name for boys in mississauga is mohammed so that's even in canada the number one baby name for boys in mohammed is is mohammed uh, i think poland has saying okay we observe what the west is doing we want a different path yeah 
I, I completely agree with you. And I think a lot of it does go back to that uh, the Soviet rule here for so long, their culture was meant to be absorbed by the Soviet Union. And now that the Soviet Union has fallen, especially because of Poland and the solidarity movement, they're not having their culture be threatened or erased by outside forces before it was the Soviet Union. Now it's the United Nations. Yeah, I tell you, I've never been to Poland, but I, I know a little bit of history. I know that the Poles were instrumental in smashing the Turkish siege of Vienna in 1683. And before people say, oh, why are you getting back in ancient history? That's so boring, boring. No way. That was a Muslim siege of Vienna. And had they won, all of Europe would have been Muslim. And instead, the, the Turk was smashed and driven back. And, and it was the, really the salvation of Christendom. Um, who knows, maybe even you and I would be speaking Turkish had the Poles not saved the day, Jan Sobieski in 1683. And then we already mentioned Pope John Paul II, who I believe in concert with Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, those three people, the Pope, Reagan, and Thatcher, really brought down the Berlin Wall. So I, I'm sort of jealous that you're there in Poland. I got a visit one day. But let me shift gears to the actual reason we sent you there. Tell me a little bit more about the visit you made to the coal uh, well, well, just tell me about your day. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what you did. I'm getting the update at the same time as our <laughs> What were you up to today? Okay, so today actually we got up early and we went out to Auschwitz, Auschwitz 1 and Auschwitz-Birkenau. And uh, it was, I think, one of the things that uh, it, it, when we went, I, I'm sort of lost for words because I've been to Yad Vashem um, in Israel twice now, and it's always a very um, haunting and stirring experience. Um, but there you're learning about the concentration camp sort of secondhand. And today we went out there because we had some time before we went to Mark Morano's event just to um, set foot there in this place of human misery and where evil got organized. And um, it was it was really hard to be there. But as I left, I thought... What a horrible thing for people to throw around the word Nazi on the Internet to describe people they disagree with politically. Or when we see ministers of the crown like Catherine McKenna, who is attending this climate change conference, use words like denier to use invoke language of Holocaust denier to uh, malign people who are simply saying we don't think taxes change the weather. I think that it does a real disservice to um, the legacy of the concentration camps, and it really diminishes what happened there. You know, that's a very uh, wise observation. Um, it's like a knife that gets dulled by overuse. And yeah. if you call everything a Nazi, well, one day you're going to need to actually describe something uh, accurately as Nazi-like, but that word will have lost its meaning. And I think the left does that a lot. They call everyone racist. They call everyone sexist. They call everyone a Nazi. And 99% of the time, they're just name-calling. Um, but what do we do when we encounter actual Nazis and the knife is dull? I think you, you make a very good point. And shame on Catherine McKenna. And Gerald Butts is the worst at that. He calls yeah. everyone a Nazi. He even implied that I, and I'm a proud Jew and I don't hide that, that I'm a Nazi or the rebel's a Nazi, which is so absurd, but it shows a disrespect. I, I think you're right. I think if Gerald Butts and Catherine McKenna had, had actually ever visited a concentration camp, I don't think they would call mere political 
uh, critics, Nazis. All right, well, thank you for that update. Uh, now tell me about the event you went to with our friend Mark Morano of Climate Depot, and he's got a related group called CFACT, but I think our people know him by the name Climate Depot. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it was actually a, a pretty well-attended event considering we are about half an hour from Katowice. And there's a couple hundred people in the crowd. Um, Mark actually had an astronaut who Skyped in to offer his observations on the failings of modern climate science. Uh, Mark addressed the crowd. Craig Rucker, also from CFACT, addressed the crowd. Um, he seemed pretty engaged, um, pretty willing to listen to what Mark had to say, pretty willing to hear the other side of the story, although there were a couple of uh, UN types there. You could tell by the badges they had around their neck. And the crowd got a little frisky <laughs> for a minute, but nothing that Mark couldn't handle. Um, it was well attended, and uh, I thought it was pretty informative. But, you know, Mark, he always is. Yeah. Well, that's great. I like the fact that uh, that they always try and have a counter message because there's so many yeah. Me Too NGOs that are just repeaters of the official line. And as you correctly point out, Mark is one of the best briefed people. Uh, I mean, he's a layman. I don't think he holds himself out to be a deep scientist, but I would put it to you. He could go toe to toe with any scientist, certainly a fake, you know, fruit fly scientist like David Suzuki. So uh, that does sound interesting. I'm glad there was a strong turnout. Well, that's great. Tell me, uh, you, I think you mentioned to me before that you're coming home on uh, Friday night or Saturday morning. Is that right? Very, very ungodly early Saturday morning. I think it has to be at the airport at 3 a.m. or something like that. So we'll do uh, a lot of things jammed into the next day and a half. Uh, up to two days um, just to try to get as much information out to the people back home and to make sure that everybody who sent me here gets their money's worth. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure everyone does feel that way. You and I have been bantering a lot about Poland and history and things like that. But uh, for those who are really here for the global warming critique, uh, may I recommend that you go to rebelun.com. When you go to that page, you'll immediately be offered a choice. Watch Sheila's vids from Poland, watch David's vids from Morocco, and we even have three archived UN conferences. So that's just a really great page if you're a critic of globalism, United Nations, as we are. And this is, of course, is uh, Sheila's third trip to the UN Global Warming Conference. Um, it's a really long conference, isn't it, Sheila? Uh, is, is there like a grand finale to it? Is there like a big... Uh, uh, you know, e exciting cliffhanger event, or does it just sort of peter out? I think it just sort of peters out. I know that's what it did last year and the year before. Um, I think this thing has been petering out since it started, to be honest with you, um, because of uh, Poland's less than warm reception of the United Nations. Um, but this really is just a week-long taxpayer-funded party for government ministers and UN delegates. So while the conference might be dry and boring, they're soaking up the sights and sounds of Poland. Yeah. Well, I'm sort of jealous because it really does look like a, a winter festival, but not just a, yeah. a, a neutered pagan festival. It's a really it's Christmas like it used to be in the West. I guess that that sounds like it would, really would be uh, a wonderful trip. Let me um, ask you one last question, because I've been really attentive to these UN conferences. I mean, I, I mean, I wrote a book. What am I saying? I wrote a book called yeah. Fight yeah. Kyoto. De uh, more than a decade ago about the Kyoto Protocol. So I think I've been following this for a while. I've never been to one of these, but I really started following them 
in the 2015 Paris Global Warming Conference. That was the total pig out where Catherine McKenna brought her $6,600 high fashion photographer. That's where Trudeau brought a 383 person entourage, by far the largest of the, the conference. There was sort of this exuberance, we've won, Rachel, <coughs> Rachel Notley had won in Alberta, Justin Trudeau won federally, they were gonna carbon tax everything. It was this sort of thrilling moment for the global warmingists. Then, literally days before the 2016 conference in Marrakesh, Donald Trump won, and it was like someone took uh, a machete and carved up that pinata or something. I should find a better analogy. They popped the balloons. They took all the fun out of it. Yeah. And it feels like it's just been, well, a balloon that's deflating and everyone knows this won't go anywhere and Donald Trump and America aren't in and carbon taxes are being rejected everywhere and Paris is on fire because of the yellow vest. So it, it, you, know, you look at the arc, 2015 total jubilation. We can do anything, Trudeau and McKenna. 2016, oh my God, Donald Trump won. 2017, Donald Trump pulled us out of the UN process. 2018, the carbon tax is in disrepute and there's riots in France. So it just, it, it's gotta be an emotional downer for all these global warming kooks. Do, do you detect that or are they inside this cult-like bubble and they're just sort of defiant? What are they like when you actually meet these people? I think that six of one half a dozen of another. I was talking to Mark Morano, and I think a lot of people are sort of the, the same as they were in Morocco, where they are just in a waking dream. They're walking around just completely deluded, thinking that they can impose these measures on the rest of the world without the United States. But I think there are a lot of people, especially now with the uh, protests in France, and then with Russia and Saudi Arabia disputing the IPCC findings very vocally and very publicly. And with Brazil saying, you know what, we probably don't even want to host the conference next year, which is a little disappointing to me because I think it will be warm for once. But I think it, it is this conference is slowly circling the drain. And I think Donald Trump has emboldened a lot of countries to say exactly what they think about these global warming schemes. You know what? I, uh, I've kept you a long time, but I want to just ask you one more question because I'd like you to help our viewers uh, get up to speed. What do you mean by Russia and some of those other countries have disputed the science? And give me, give me one minute on that and give me 30 more seconds on this Yair Bolsonaro of Brazil because he, they call him the Trump of Brazil. I've been trying to brief myself on him. He's very bold. I think he makes Trump look timid, frankly. Give me a minute yeah. on these dissident countries because it's not just America. I think there's this global revolt. Can you bring us up to speed? Sure. So... Russia today, very vocally, while attending this United Nations conference, likewise with Saudi Arabia, have both come out and disputed the numbers behind the Paris Accord. They've, they're saying that the numbers are garbage. They're not going to be following along with those numbers or participating in any policy drafted using those numbers. They've completely disregarded the IPCC uh, suggestions as far as the Paris Accord. So they're revolting against the United Nations as they attend now this what conference. Numbers do you so mean? What, what numbers? Like uh, like the emissions targets or the emissions measurements? What? Yeah, yes. 
yes, the emissions targets and how those targets get them below the 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius or whatever that number is that they're using now. It sort of changes back and forth. So Russia has said that the methodology that the United Nations is using is not valid and it's not something that Russia will be using to draft any sort of climate policy. Mm. And then with Brazil, they've come out and said, now Brazil is supposed to be the host country for this conference for next year. And Brazil has said they will not be participating um, as the host country. So the United Nations now is caught flat footed and they have to find another country to host the climate change conference. And it's a couple years of planning. So now the United Nations is behind with their planning. They don't know who's going to host it. And it is basically 11 and a half months away and they don't have a host country. And uh, Brazil's new president has said that it is because he doesn't want to spend the money to host the United Nations. I'm not sure if that's really the reason, because these conferences do bring in a lot of money. But he is completely rejecting the United Nations um, hosting this conference in his country next year. That's amazing. I did not know that. I knew he was a skeptic. And I yeah. um, I mean, he's he really is against globalism and, and he actually is against communism. He uses that word, which you don't actually see that often on the right. Sheila, what a fascinating yeah. catch up. Thank you so much for your time and uh, enjoy Poland. It looks like a wonderful place. I'd like to visit myself one day. And thanks for keeping the stories coming. I would refer our viewers to rebelun.com for all of Sheila's uh, broadcasts on the subject. Great to see you, my friend. Stay safe. I will. Thank you, Ezra. All right. There you have it. Sheila Gunn-Reed, our Alberta Bureau Chief, and she's our in-house expert on the UN Global Warming Circuit. This is now her third visit there. Unlike the uh, fancy luxury travel that you as Canadian taxpayers pay for Catherine McKenna's delegation, we crowdfund Sheila's trip. And if you recall our conversation the other day, I think she had three stops. She, she left home near Edmonton, got to Edmonton, flew to Toronto, left Toronto, flew to Frankfurt, left Frankfurt, flew to uh, the airport near Katowice. So the milk run, and that's to save money because, of course, we, we crowdfund her trip in 10 and 20 and occasional $100 increments. So we have to be more careful than the wastrels in government. So thank you if you're one of those who chipped in. David uh, Menzies, who is, was at the Morocco conference, that was a shorter conference, and it has wrapped up now. And so, in fact, as I tape this, David is actually in the air flying back to Canada. But he did send us some short prepared videos, and I'd like to play just a short one for you to give you a flavor of that part of Rebel UN. So here is a selection by our producers of one of David's videos. Well, folks, one of the things I've looked at while we've been here in Marrakesh is how the media from the world over is covering the UN Global Compact on Migration. That is to say, of course, the media that's actually allowed in the building and able to report. And the vast majority of media coverage is, this is a good thing. And anything you've heard, it's just fear-mongering. It's wrong. Just ignore it. Believe me. The UN has your back. You know, it's kind of funny how these journalists can pound out copy on their typewriters with uh, UN blue and white pom-poms attached to their wrists, but I digress. In any event, I think the worst culprit in terms of, I'm not sure if it's fake news, but it's certainly biased news. Well, that goes to Mary Robinson of Time Magazine. 
And I'll read you verbatim what Miss Robinson had to say. Her lead paragraph is, ignore the lies about the UN Migration Pact. It's the only responsible solution to a changing world, okay? Now, predictably, the photo that is part of the Time Magazine article is one of the Central American migrants from Honduras that was on the migrant caravan. Uh, she's a 39-year-old woman with five children, and she has stopped at the final pit stop of the migrant caravan. That's the Tijuana-U.S. border. Funny, though, um, speaking as someone who last month went down and covered the migrant caravan and noticed about 90% of the caravan participants were young, able-bodied males, the media, including Time Magazine, whenever they take a snapshot, it's always women and children. I wonder how that is. Anyways, um, Mary goes on about uh, the UN Compact. I will be attending the Marrakesh Summit to emphasize the importance of developing a holistic, people-centered approach to this issue that can respond to the urgent imperatives of climate change and social justice. Well, yet again, uh, they just can't resist throwing the climate change card out there. And holistic approach, what is Mary Robinson gonna do? Uh, open up a massage parlor or something while she's in Marrakesh? And uh, we go on. Oh, this is the best part of all. If you're wondering who Mary Robinson is, folks, well, here's her bio. Mary Robinson was president of Ireland from 1990 to 1997 and United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights from 1997 to 2002. She is now a member of the Elders and runs a foundation devoted to climate justice. Well, climate justice, what exactly is that? I mean, they're going to put Hurricane Hugo on trial for uh, creating floodlands in uh, southern U.S. states. Uh, but beyond that... Um, it, don't you find it somewhat jarring that Time Magazine no longer sends a journalist uh, down to cover an event like this? It actually sends a UN insider. In other words, they're not even going through the pretense of having a supposedly unbiased journalist cover this conference. They are actually sending someone who is totally drunk on UN-mandated Kool-Aid and it goes back to 2016, folks, when Sean Hannity said it and said it so well. Journalism is dead. Hey, welcome back to my monologue yesterday about Omar Khadr. Sheldon writes, the only plane leaving Canada that Omar Khadr should be on should be heading back to Gitmo. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he should never have been released from there. In fact, he should. Gitmo, by the way, it is not a prison. Uh, it's not a penitentiary. It's not a penalty box. You're not punished there. In fact, as uh, occasionally you see in the mainstream media, not often, it's actually quite luxurious. Sports facilities, video games, music, uh, TV, uh, gourmet food. Um, I know that you, you find that hard to believe, but you can check it for yourself because it's not a prison. Uh, in, in the punishment sense, the criminal sense. It's like a pit prison of war camp. So these people haven't been charged with crimes there. They're just being detained until the war on terror is over, 
which will probably be never. Um, it's just like in World War II, when uh, we captured German soldiers, we didn't prosecute them for a crime unless they were like a war criminal. I'm just talking about a regular soldier, regular you know, general infantry. You capture some Wehrmacht guy in France, you're not going to throw him in a prison because he didn't commit a crime. You're not going to prosecute him. You're just going to hold him until the war is over. That's called a prisoner of war camp. Um, now, obviously, the Germans and the Japanese were, were, did not live up to our civilized standards of prisoner of war camps. But my point is, when we captured thousands of Germans in World War II, we didn't prosecute them or, or even treat them abusively. We just, frankly, put them on a ship, put them on the rail, sent them to Alberta to a prisoner of war camp there till the war was over. Um, that's what Gitmo is like. It is not a place where a murderer is punished. Omar Carter was convicted of murder. He was sentenced to 40 years in prison by a jury. He would have gone to a real prison that would have been very unpleasant. No video games, no sports, no gourmet food. He would have just gone to a regular prison. But Barack Obama intervened and forced Carter on, on Harper. I do believe that he pressured Harper to take him. So I wanted to tell you that Gitmo is actually far more luxurious a place than Omar Carter deserves to go because Gitmo is not a punishment. It is a holding tank. Liza writes, let Carter go by all means. Just don't let him back in the country. Yeah, I mean, I got a couple questions for you. Uh, how's he going to get to Saudi Arabia? What airlines going to put on you? He's a convicted, confessed terrorist who's murdered a man, who's trained in explosives. You're going to let him on a plane? Who, what airplane would take him? In fact, how did he get to Toronto when he visited Toronto before? Did he fly on an airplane? Would you like to see Omar Carter on an airplane? On my interviews with David Menzies and Sheila Gunn-Reed, Jan writes, Good show. Sheila and David are excellent journalists. Don't know what I'd do without the rebel. Thank you, Jan. I love those two both, and I enjoyed calling David my desert rose. Um, I don't think he quite heard me over the Skype, because I think he would have object objected <laughs> more vigorously. Of course, the only one close to being pretty as a flower is our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, who's just amazing. And she's great, and it was nice to catch up with her today. And I'm not going to try and pronounce the Polish town she was in, but uh, Sheila seems to have picked it up fairly well. I do want to go to Poland. I mean, it, it looks like a great country. It looks beautiful. Um, it looks uh, like it's, it values itself. It's not postmodern. It's just modern. And it still values its own culture. And I don't know. It just looks like a great place. And the fact that they're standing up to the EU, standing up to open borders migration, standing up to global warming ninnies, I, it makes me sort of like it. Um, I, mean, I, have, I really have no connection there. But uh, maybe one day I'll have a chance to go. I mean, it looks like uh, Sheila's enjoying it. And we've actually had several staff visits to Poland before. When Tommy Robinson worked with the rebel, he went to Poland. Uh, fairly recently, uh, Jack Buckby and Martina Marcota went to Poland. I think the website for that is rebelpoland.com. So we've got videos there. Anyway, I'm yapping too much about Poland, but it's fun to see Sheila there. And, um, but she's not there in a vacation spirit. She's there to work, as you know, and you can tell, and you can see all her videos at rebelun.com. But yeah, you know, when you think about it, we have covered some far-flung places. We've been to Israel, we've been to Iraq, we've been to New Delhi, India, we've been to many countries in Europe. We just sent David Menzies down to Mexico to cover the caravan. 
And we do these things not because we're bored and not because they're tourist adventures. David certainly didn't go to any touristy spots in Mexico. He went to the worst places there. He was relieved to be back, as was his videographer. Um, but we go there because the news is there that we want to cover. We want to learn about those countries. We want to learn about the, how the issues there affect us here in Canada. And importantly, because the CBC and CTV and the Globe lie about the news in other countries for their own purposes. And I think it's critically important to have the other side of the story, especially when it's something like the United Nations and the Migration Pact and the Global Warming Pact, because those things, they're being lied about because they affect Canada. And our mainstream media is trying to indoctrinate us and condition us and tell us, don't be worried, there's nothing to be worried about here. So I think sending reporters to these UN conferences, we've now done five UN conferences, what do you think of that? I actually think, pound for pound, it's some of the most important work that we've done at the Rebel, and if you think so, please help us out at rebelun.com. That's the only way we travel. I tell you, the day we do a travel campaign and people don't crowdfund it, I'll get the message that you don't want to do travel anymore and we will stop. But people seem to love it, especially on the Global Warming File. So thank you for your support. We follow the news that you are interested in, and we know that because you support the stuff we do. That's our show for today. What do you think about closing uh, the Cold Lake training exercises. It's funny because about a week ago, I got an email from someone in Cold Lake who suggested that they're shutting down the base altogether. And you know what? I just said, well, that's a rumor. I just, I don't, I'm skeptical of it. I got an email to that effect. I read it. Maybe it's someone watching right now. And I'll be honest with you, I ignored it because it wasn't sourced. It was just like scuttlebutt around town. Well, wouldn't you know it? Um, this annual training exercise is gone. And really, once that is gone, do they need the million hectare Cold Lake Air Force Base anymore? If, if you're taking away this flagship training program, do you even need an Air Force Base anymore? Or could maybe that money be better used for buying Justin Trudeau a new private jet? We'll find out soon enough, won't we? Stay with us. Well, don't stay with us because we're, we're done now. Um, I was going to stay with us more. Instead, I'll say good night and keep fighting for freedom.